I am Matthew Moore, and this is Ask the Flip Learning Network, the original hub of the flip learning community. Welcome, ladies and gentlemen. Join us today on Ask the Flip Learning Network as we talk to Eric Wattengard from Norway about his work with learning videos. Eric has been a part of a project for the last four years determining what are some of the very best characteristics that make video effective for learning. Join us as I talk to him from FlipTech New England 2019. Just a little note on the recording. Because we were in a crowded conference, we had part of the interview that was in one location before moving to a secondary location. So there will be a slight adjustment in the audio. Derek, introduce kind of where you work and what you've been doing for the last few years with this. I'm a video producer with uh, the Norwegian University of Science and Technology in Trondheim, Norway. And I produce educational videos, or learning videos, as I prefer to call it, for the teaching staff to use uh, for their students. Okay, now, you've done some very specific research. Explain some of the eye-tracking research that you've done. Yes. In the uh, project Video for Quality, we set out to find out exactly what it is about video that makes it good for learning. And what also then, what makes it not so, what in video makes it not so good for learning. Among other things, we used eye tracking equipment in order to find out exactly how the users, that is the students that watch the videos, how the users see the videos. Then we've been able to see where their visual attention is in the image. And assuming that the cognitive attention is where the visual attention is, we see that, among other things, one of the important things to do is to remove distractors. Visual distractors, anything in the background, anything. It could be uh, images on uh, the presenter's t-shirt. It could be colorful glasses weird hairdo. One of, the, one of the videos you showed us was a simple demonstration of some chemistry equipment and there was a wall plug that was basically the same color as the equipment or the wall, but every person that watched that video in your study at some point focused on that wall plug. Everybody had their vision, their, their eyes drawn towards the power outlet on the wall at some point during the video. How much of their cognitive attention went there, it's, it's hard to know, but, uh, but assuming that you know it, it drew some cognitive attention away from what was you know, said or conveyed at that moment uh, is something that uh, I'm afraid we can probably just uh, assume. So one of the things that we as educators have patterned ourselves off of is kind of the YouTube video mentality. But that, what some of the principles that you're pulling out aren't necessarily good for learning where they are good for entertainment. Some of the, the flashier, the clickbait stuff, or uh, the high-level visuals don't necessarily enhance learning. That's correct. It's important to focus on the cognitive load of the learner so that you, you put into the working memory exactly what you need to put in there and ideally not much else because then it's just going to overload uh, the working memory and they're going to be able to process uh, process it not as good as they would have. Okay, so for example, uh, 
I showed you one of my videos. Now my videos, for those of you that are familiar or those of you that aren't, is usually a document camera with my hand writing various math things out. And I keep my picture over off to the side and it's usually on my desktop in the computer. There are more than a couple things that are not ideal about that setup. What are a few of the things that are not ideal about that? Well, the first big no-no is the picture-in-picture -picture solution. Uh, once you're doing stuff, you're doing equations or whatever, on your document camera, we don't need to have the little picture of, of you in the corner because their attention is not going to be on that anyway and it just becomes a distractor. Uh, again, we see that it's good to have that social connection with the presenter. So seeing your face at some point in the video, ideally be at the beginning when you introduce it, is important but once we've seen your face um, it's really good enough and you know then it, then basically you can go away to the learning material rather than your person and that comes back to a traditional structure of introduction give kind of the topic then do the process and then do the review at the end so mm -hmm. the face the social component really works out well in the introduction component and in the conclusion component, or if at any point in the middle, go off on a kind of verbal or demonstration tangent, yeah. that might be where you'd bring the face back up. But otherwise, exactly. keep the focus on the learning is what you're saying. That's right. That's right. Exactly. Just minimize what you put into the uh, learner's or the user's uh, working memory. Just limit it to the important learning material. And the idea is to keep the visual and the auditory moving in the same direction. Anytime we split that focus, we split and reduce the amount of learning. That's right. That's okay. Right. Now, there are, though, other ways. So you're not suggesting that that's the only way to do a video. Uh, there are other places for other styles. Yes. yes okay. Absolutely. Right. So give me an example of how you would use a different style or have used a different style a video yet still maintained those key components of good educational video? Uh, one example would be uh, lab videos for chemistry. For example, demonstrating a piece of, of equipment or doing a, a simple lab experiment. Uh, in that case, you know, you'd be, uh, you need a presenter in order to actually show and do uh, in front of camera what is being done. So you're, not a, you're away from the head and shoulder shot and you're in a, in a location setting rather than a studio or office setting. Well, and another video that I, I showed you that a great critique is, you know, tighten up on the action. Because I had my full self in frame and the table and the demonstration, but I don't need all of me at all times in a demonstration video. There are times where the camera needs to tighten up on just the demonstration. That's right. So that when you get to details, if it's like buttons that need to be pushed or, or stuff like that, then it's good to go close up on that and show it, try to get a good clear shot of it. So it's easy to, for the viewer to orient themselves on you know, where on the equipment it is and such like, that, such like that, but then focus on that detail. That's good. Another thing that I thought was really, uh, it, it was so simple yet it blew my mind, where I would edit a cut earlier before moving from one object to another. For example, if a teacher's talking then turns to write on the board, you would hold on the cut until the teacher has begun writing. Why is that? That's in order to keep the user's focus on the right spot 
in the image, avoid any cognitive lag from what's happening on screen to working memory. It's good to have a visual cue to where something is going to happen on screen. If it's something, say something that's being written, uh, then it's good to see you know, the professor or the, 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 the presenter's hand move towards the spot where it's, it's being done. And that cognitive lag, you said, can take up to three seconds before that attention is truly focused on the item. That's right. You can see in the, in the eye tracking uh, surveys that it can take up to three seconds from something appears on the screen until the user's gaze is fixated on that spot. Wow. That's that, a lot. That's, that's a lot. It's a lot more than we thought it would be. Oh, absolutely. And, and this is work that was done with undergraduates, correct? That is correct. All right. So, I mean, we're not talking uh, elementary school kids or young kids. These are people that are trained in learning or trained in education. We have socially trained them to try to theoretically do all of these things. Yet at still some points, three seconds is what it takes to visually concentrate on something. That's just a taste for the, the human eye to, uh, to orient itself and to, uh, you know, in cooperation with the brain, uh, focus on, uh, on uh, where it's supposed to be focused. That's amazing. Now, another thing that you mentioned, the difference between something you plan to use long-term versus something you plan to use short-term. What would be an example of what you would or wouldn't worry about in a short-term, maybe single-use video that you would do? If it's it's all about the context, if it's something you're going to use like one time, one week uh, for one class, all these principles and and when it comes to you know high quality learning video, it's not that important because it's not something you need to do use over and over. It's not something that's supposed to live for years and years and years. Uh, so if it's been you know maybe something that has happened in the news, or it's a situation, or it's uh, it's something that you see uh, out and about that can be useful. It's something that is totally possible to do just on your own cell phone. You don't need to, you know, forget about quality completely. It's still good to, you know, think a little bit about framing, think a little bit about uh, the background uh, to, to what you're shooting, and and also, you know, audio-wise, uh, make sure that you actually get your voice and that it's, you know, minimize side uh, noise as much as possible. Um, but you know, you don't need to have a studio. You don't need to, you know, make a big production out of it uh, if it's something that is supposed to be used just for one week. Well, and that's something where you're a big fan of cutting in different pieces. So that's something that maybe it's a it's a grab out and about that can be cut into something that's larger or something to be used more long term. But here's an intro bit to what we're going to be talking about, kind of thing. These are all things that really what I was astounded at when you looked at some of my own stuff and gave me some great critiques, it's simple. It's it's not that hard to incorporate kind of these six or seven really good principles. You just have to know them and understand what you're trying to do for learning rather than for entertainment. Eric, I appreciate you sitting down with me and talking for just a few minutes. Thank you. I was very excited to sit down with Eric Watergard and discuss some of these opportunities for improving our learning videos. One thing that Eric is working on is a handbook for learning videos specifically that combines his research along with the other research that is available on learning videos.
It's not published yet, but it should be coming soon, so do keep an eye out on usual suspects for publishing, and it will be under Watergard, W-A-T-T-E-N-G-A-R-D. Take a look for Eric's upcoming publication regarding educational video. He has some wonderful insights as well as some really well-done research that I think can benefit all FLIP teachers and students. The Flip Learning Network is the original online hub of the Flip Learning community. We are a not-for-profit organization whose mission includes providing access to a wealth of resources, tools, and professional development opportunities. We hope to help educators build on the possibilities inherent in flipped teaching and learning, and to explore the evolving student-centered instruction practices. We invite educators everywhere to explore the resources available at fliplearning.org and to contribute to the discussion through comments, questions, and submitting your own posts. Indeed, the site is built on contributions from flipped educators like yourself who write blog posts. We also encourage you to join us on Slack, where we have an ongoing dialogue. This has been Ask the Flip Learning Network.